My name is Josh Grimes and I am the pastor of the Commonplace Church here in Lock Haven. Uh, we are glad that you decided to join us this evening for Good Friday. Uh, the, kind of the history of this uh, event is that for a number of years, local churches have gotten together to celebrate and to be um, mindful of the fact that church isn't just our own local bodies, but that collectively we are the church and that's um, always important, especially at this time in history. Now, this service usually rotates between churches and the commonplace, while we love to participate, we meet in a coffee shop and we could never ever accommodate all of you lovely people. And so we are uh, in a strange turn of events for the first time hosting our Good Friday <laughs> service. Um, we're gonna be honest with you, we don't know how this is gonna go. We're all a little bit anxious and nervous, but I think that we're in this together, and so I'm excited to see what happens. Um, so, uh, just to kind of give you a little intro here, we have, uh, well, we'll start over here with Doug Packard, <laughs> pastor of the First Baptist Church in Lock Haven, and then we've got Scott Garman, pastor of Cedar Heights, Brethren in Christ, and Tim Boger, the pastor of Big Woods Bible Church. We're gonna take the passage um, of Jesus' uh, death uh, found in the book of Matthew. If you want to go get your Bible, you can do that. Uh, Matthew chapter 27. And uh, we're going to read portions of that and then individually talk about what those sections kind of mean to us at this point in time for the church. Uh, and so that's the plan of attack. And um, I think we'll have some conversation along the way. Does that sound good to you guys? Sounds good. Great. All right. Let's, let's go for it. So Doug is going to get us started this evening. So take it away. All right. Well, I've been asked to uh, read and then share some comments from what are the first five verses of this passage. That would be chapter 27, verses 27 through 31. So picking up uh, in verse 27, we read there, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As I looked at this passage as we all have, uh, in the last uh, week or so. Uh, there's some things in these first five verses that really s struck me and uh, stood out to me. And if you see them, I know that you'll, you'll see that uh, painfully obvious, if you will. And um, in order to set the context for what I want to share with you, though, or share as far as my thoughts, I want to begin with a, a kind of a qualifying statement. And that is whenever I'm reading scripture, whether it, whatever type of uh, literature it is in the Bible, particularly though with, with narrative, which is what we have here in Matthew, I always want to seek to understand the context for what I'm reading. 
And I want to understand the context because I want to make sure that as I'm reading, uh, I'm accurately understanding what God, the divine author and the human author, Matthew in this case, intended to communicate so I can make sure that I'm understanding what God is saying to me uh, in an accurate uh, sense. So I just want to briefly point out some things about Matthew's gospel in terms of the broader context, really from start to finish, and how we see that playing out in some of the things happening in the language here uh, in these verses. So first of all, I think you all know, I'm sure you do, Matthew seems to be writing to a Jewish audience. And what I found interesting, it's said that more than any other gospel writer, Matthew emphasizes Jesus's credentials as king. For example, Matthew begins his gospel with these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, the son of Abraham. That's chapter one and verse one. Now, he does talk about Jesus Christ as the son of Abraham, but really the ultimate focus, the way the whole genealogy is structured is on the son of David. So he begins his gospel in that way. Matthew chapter two is the gospel writer who tells us about the visit of the Eastern Magi who say they come to pay homage, worship, uh, the one born king of the Jews. So that's the beginning, that's the front end of the gospel. Well, here at the back end of the gospel, in this text, we see portrayals, if you will, of Jesus as a king. Now, albeit they're mocking portrayals by the guards. Notice, for example, there in verse 28, they put a scarlet robe on him. Uh, that's a mocking portrayal as a king. Uh, in verse 29, they put uh, a, a crown of thorns on him, a mock crown, if you will. They also put a reed in his right hand, which probably was meant to be a mock scepter. Um, they kneel before him and they, they, like they would have done to Caesar, said, hail king of the, but in this case, king of the Jews. Now they clearly didn't believe what they were saying. They were mocking him. But the point is that he's being portrayed in these initial verses of the description of the lead up to his crucifixion as a king. Furthermore, one more thing. The very last chapter of the book of Matthew, chapter 28. I know you know these verses because every Christian has these verses drilled into their head. What we call the Great Commission. What is one of the last things Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. So I submit to you that the bookends of Matthew's gospel portray Jesus as a king. So in that light, from birth to death, being portrayed as a king. I find it intriguing that the king is portrayed as reigning in this way. In other words, from a human standpoint, this is a really odd way for a king to reign. Mm -hmm. Notice he, he conquers by being crucified. He leads by laying down his life. Even in John's gospel, chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said he laid it down of his own free will. I like to follow the guys at the Bible Project and they often point out that Jesus' king, kingdom is an upside down kingdom. So, in that light, as the author of Hebrews reminds us in chapter 12, verses 25 to 59, following Jesus, whose upside down kingdom, as that passage says, is an unshakable kingdom. It's not gonna be rattled by a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna be rattled by political upheaval. It alone will stand forever. In fact, it's the, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he's gonna rule over everything. That as citizens of that upside down kingdom, believers are required, like Jesus, our King, to think and act differently. And so that's what strikes me about this initial portrayal of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the lead up to his actually being nailed to 
to the cross. I think, uh, Doug, if I could just ask one question on that. I love the concept that we understand as the church of a um, living in submission to Jesus as king. How about the rest of the community? We're not really familiar with the idea of a monarchy. Mm-hmm. The idea of us being under the authority of a king is pretty ancient. Mm-hmm. How do we as a local church communicate us living in submission to Jesus as king to the community around us? <laughs> Well, that's an interesting question, uh, uh, in my opinion, anyhow. Um, I think my answer to that would be, number one, by our living out the gospel before our community. I mean, obviously, at this particular stage of the game, quote unquote, um, only believers can truly be living under the authority of Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I believe the scriptures reveal that there's going to come a day when every knee will indeed bow, every tongue will indeed confess that Jesus is Lord, kurios, to the glory of God the Father. So there's a day coming when it's going to be universal in terms of the recognition of his authority over over our lives and the submission to it. But for now, our, our representation of that as believers uh, is to, to live out the gospel and carry the message of the gospel uh, to to the, the community around us. It's that what scholars sometimes call the already and the not yet. So we bring the already to bear in the communities where we live. I'm reminded of the text, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and mm-hmm. God the Father. Amen. Amen. And not just bow, but every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Yeah, and earth. right. Yeah, true. Good so point. so it's, it's more powerful than just what we see. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But cool. Doug, cool. Thanks. Thanks yep. a lot. I'm going to kind of piggyback off that. I got the next passage. I'm going to be reading verses 32 through 44. The word of the Lord says, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, where they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He can save others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And uh, so I, I, what I'm really going to be doing is piggybacking off of what Doug said. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff in here, and, and we can come back to the same thing. I'm going to jump back, actually, to Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus was meeting with his disciples, and he basically predicted his death. He said, hey, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and elders, and then three days later, I'm going to, I'm going to rise again. And Peter goes, whoa, we ain't going to let that happen. And Jesus' words to Peter at that point were pretty strict. He said, look, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have the things of God in mind. You have the things of man in mind. And that's where it's hard for me to see. When I read through this passage, I see the things of man. And what I mean by that is I look at it and I go, this is not a good plan, right? This is not a good idea. This is not how Scott would structure a plan. And, and I like to have a plan, albeit rudimentary at times, if you will. Um, 
to go into something. Now, now if I'm taking on a plumbing project, that plan's gonna be scrapped really quick. You know, it, it goes right out the window. And, yeah, and, and as a pastor, you should not be filming me at that time because there might be some choice <laughs> language involved, right? But I read through Jesus's plan and I go, this is absurd at best. And, and, and I say that for the mindset of reading from a Peter mindset, mm -hmm. right? Here's, here's, at the beginning of John, John starts off his gospel by saying, in the beginning was a word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So Christ was, was there at the creation of the world. He had an active part in that creation. He created the world, he created everything in it and he goes to sacrifice himself for it. You know, you look at the book of Job, and, and when Job's talking, then all his friends gather in, and then Job speaks, and then God presents. And God says, where were you when I laid the foundation Amen. of the earth? How did you measure it off? Who keeps, how do you know where to keep the seawaters back, and when to, when to make the light shine, and where the darkness goes? And, and so this is the same Christ that's present amongst all of this, mm -hmm. right? So I say that because... He's in a situation here where he is completely and utterly vulnerable to the point where any of us would be mortified, mm. right? He has been beaten, he has been stripped, he has been flogged. And of all those, we, we, we tend to think of the physical pain, but I wonder about the emotional pain here. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The emotional pain of, of, of him literally being stripped, mm -hmm. of him literally being on death's door and having those he created or had a hand in creating heap insults mm. on him. Mm. <laughs> I think that had to be some of the most difficult times in the life of Christ. And then when it gets to that point, I mean, you see him, him being offered the drink that would help dull the physical pain. And he kind of pulls like a, a you know, a, a Mel Gibson in Braveheart where he's like, no, no, I need to have all my wits about me. I'm going to go into this full force. And, and, and as a guy who's a physical being, I look at that, and I go, man, that takes some guts. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of guts to do that. But he had to have his wits about him, I believe, to stand up to the mocking and the insults. Because if you're somebody who created this, made this creation, had a hand in it, and the beings you created and the beings that you love are now throwing insults at you, saying, prove yourself. Go ahead, prove yourself to me. If you're God, you can do this. If you're God, bring yourself down. If you're God, handle this situation. When I look at that, I think, boy, all the trials and temptations he had leading up to this, I wonder if they weren't in preparation for this in this moment yeah. alone. To have mm. the courage to stand and say, look, even though I have 12 legions of angels at my side, they can be down in a second. I'm gonna choose to go through with the plan that seems absurd to you, mm -hmm. but is eternal and ordained by my father. Amen. When I read through that, that's what comes to mind. That's what comes to my mind. The question I wrote down is, would you be immune to it if the insults came from those you loved. Hmm. Hmm. Because the love of Christ, you know, I, I'm a guy, so I would stand up, you, you resist, you push back against stuff, you go, oh, you think I'm not gonna do this? Let me show you what's up, right? Yeah. Let, let, me, let me take care of the situation. But Christ took the passive approach. Hmm. And so, so out of anything, here's this plan that at face value is absurd, it doesn't make sense, and yet it's ordained as perfect by God. Hmm. I don't think I'll ever be able to wrap my mind around it. I don't think I'll ever be, make, make, be able to make complete sense of it. And yet it's Christ showing his love for us. Hmm. So when I read through those verses, that's kind of what comes to my mind. Cool. That thought, what I understand to be your, your, your key thought, your main point, if you will, of the human, if you will, absurdity of the plan. I guess what's, what strikes me in the question I have for you is, 
why did God do it that way? How why did he right. apparently deliberately choose a plan that ran against the grain of human reasoning? Sure. Sure, absolutely. Because, and, and, and I can... I can sit here today and I can give you this deep theological answer, you know, and I can sound very, I can use big words and stuff like that. I don't know. We, we can say that this is the way God ordained it and the way God made it and there's some truth to that, but for me to actually wrap my mind around why, I don't know that I'm capable. Hmm. And, and if, you're, if you're a member or you attend Cedar Heights, you hear me say that very often. Like, I'm just not sure why I wish I had all the answers. And I could give you the answers, but from, from a human point of view, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. What it, it doesn't, and not just that, Christ coming down to earth in the first place doesn't make sense to me. I would have chosen mm -hmm. a different path. Mm -hmm. So when I can't wrap my mind around that, it's hard to say. What I can tell you is that it's God's ordained plan, that it's God's perfect plan, and mm -hmm. it is his path to redemption that he chose before we even knew we needed it why he chose this specific plan. We can get into the specifics of the blood and the sacrifice and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. right. But it simply just doesn't make sense to me. And that's what makes it so perfect mm -hmm. and so majestic and so overwhelming of God's love for me. So what I hear you saying is, we don't have the capability to analyze God's plan to you know give it a grade, so to speak. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a C plan, that, that's a B right, plan. Right, right, right. Yeah. Cool. Tim, I think you had a thought. Well, I just thought about the idea that it says in John 1 that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we know at some level, the example that is given of suffering, mm -hmm. physically, emotionally, Christ knew that there would be some here on earth that would suffer for their faith. Mm -hmm. And I think the example that he's given mm -hmm. is just absolutely, mm -hmm. really yeah. mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, often when we are in times of crisis, the thought is that this bad thing that's happening to me must can't be part of God's plan. Hmm. So I think there's a sense of hope in the middle of a pandemic when we think that, all right, so Jesus went through a crisis and that, that feels absurd. So could it be that in the middle of the absurdity of right now, hmm. that there can be a faithful God behind what's Amen. happening? Hmm. Yeah, so. No, and, and even, it, it's funny you bring that up because even in my message this morning, I used the analogy of, the missionaries in Ecuador who were martyred in 1956, right? Mm -hmm. And then the the relationship that is formed between Steve Saint, who was Nate Saint's mm -hmm. son, who was mm -hmm. the pilot, mm -hmm. right? And the tribesmen to the fact where his right. children call mm -hmm. the man who killed his father, mm -hmm. grandfather. Mm -hmm. And they love, and, and it's absurd, right? Outside the bounds of church, outside the bonds of mm -hmm. Christ, mm -hmm. it's absurd. And yet here we are, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. That's back to Doug's comment. It's an upside down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. sorry. I'll, I'll stop talking. I've gone on enough. <laughs> no, let me, let me read. Um, I'm going to pick it up in verse 45 and read um, just through verse 50. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling to Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. 
There's really just one phrase that I kind of wanted to key in, and it's right from verse 45. It says, from the sixth hour, that's that's 12 noon. So they, they measure time sun up to sundown. So from the sixth hour, 12 noon until the ninth hour, that's three o'clock, it says that there was darkness over all of the land. And we know that darkness, in this whole picture, this whole Good Friday is a dark day. Absolutely. Um, there's this idea that death is dark. There's this idea of weeping and mourning. And, and even the word, which is interesting, I find that darkness is associated with forsakenness. Okay. Where Jesus cried, why have you forsaken mm. me? Um, but what is interesting is that this whole concept of darkness is nothing new for God. That's right. It's almost like you go all the way back Old Testament. I love this. The pictures and images. Mm -hmm. God specializes mm. in doing amazing things in times of darkness. Think of even the church right now. In this pandemic, mm -hmm. I think more people are opening their Bibles than ever before. Mm -hmm. I think more people are reading God's Word. More mm -hmm. people certainly are, are, are listening to preaching than uh -huh. ever before. Uh -huh. People are turning in to watch four pastors sip coffee in an empty room. <laughs> and, and water. Put water. Night, <laughs> water. But really the, the good idea, coffee. Yeah, it yeah. is good coffee. We're not going there right now. <laughs> think, about, think about times... Um, of darkness in the Old Testament, okay, where you go back to when uh, Joseph was thrown into a pit. Mm -hmm. Joseph was thrown into a jail cell later. And yeah. God was doing something in Joseph's life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Later on, we see that Jonah was thrown into the darkness of the belly of a whale. We know that David spent time in the darkness of a cave in Adela. Uh, Daniel spent time in the darkness of a lion's den. And, and we know what happens right after, right after the scene that we're reading. Mm -hmm. that Jesus will be in the darkness of a tomb. But thankfully, God specializes. This is what I love. Mm -hmm. He specializes in, in taking and turning darkness into light. You look at the very first chapter, chapter one. Mm -hmm. Everything was dark, and God breaks that. Mm -hmm. Let there be light. You go to the very last chapter of the entire Bible, Revelation mm -hmm. chapter 22, and you will see there's no need. There's mm -hmm. no need for the sun. Mm -hmm. There's no yeah. need for Sorry. a lamp yeah. because it says that the Lord will be the light. <laughs> and so what I want to remind people, and from this text, which is a heavy, dark text, that regardless of how black, or regardless of how bleak the outlook is or the circumstances are, I love the psalmist. He says this in Psalm chapter 30 in, in verse 5. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Right. I think the only yeah. reason that we, we could gather in the darkness of a Good Friday like this is because every one of us know how the story ends. Yeah. Mm. It, it doesn't stay in darkness, right. mm -hmm. but it gets light. Um, Jesus himself what claims he is the light of the world. And then he calls us that what you, Josh mm -hmm. Grimes yeah. and you, Doug Packer and you, Scott Garman and you, everyone are to be light in this dark world. Mm -hmm. I love how first uh, Peter says as God has called us out of darkness into the marvelous light that allows us, frankly, as we live in rather dark time and we live in a dark country in a dark community. But there is light with Jesus, the, the risen, resurrected Savior. There is always, always, always hope, even in the midst of darkness. And that's kind of just a thought or idea yeah. that I kind of glean from this 
text. Well, even mm-hmm. even when you're talking, you say, you know, it's because of the light that we're meeting here. If it wasn't for the light that we didn't know the outcome, we'd be doing exactly what the disciples are doing, right? We'd be huddled together in that upper room, mm-hmm. keeping safe mm-hmm. in right. the dark room and, and mm-hmm. just kind of protecting ourselves. Right. And, right. and that's not because of the Great Commission, what we were obviously called to do. Yeah. And, and that reference, I appreciate you saying that, that reference to the Great Commission and the allusion that you just made to the fact that the, that the disciples are not supposed to hunker down in, right. the, in the upper room makes me think about something you just said a moment ago and, and kind of taking the next step. So you mentioned about the fact that as believers, we know how the story ends. Right. And I'm thinking about, so, and that's because we know the story. Mm-hmm. How do we as believivers take the end of the story that we know to the world that doesn't even know the story? You know what That's I'm saying? That's a great question, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we walk with our eyes open because I have to think that God is moving all around us and all the relationships that we have. And he's preparing people. And we're going to have conversations in this time that we would never have any other time. Mm-hmm. And so there are going to be opportunities. Like People are looking, mm-hmm. are more aware of the darkness. And so they're looking for light anywhere. Mm-hmm. And we have just got to walk with our eyes open. That's good. Think, think That's about good. the fact that we will be, Lord willing, years and years from now, looking back on this time. Do you, do you remember that time? Do you remember the spring? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Spring of 2020. Yeah. Right. Our children and our grandchildren, mm-hmm. we'll be telling them the way that yeah. we listen to our grandparents yep. talk about the darkness <laughs> yep. and the depression yep. and how people came together. Yep. Uh-huh. And we're seeing that. Yeah. I mean, for yeah. the fact that four pastors from four different churches and four denominations have one central message of good news, mm-hmm. of light mm-hmm. in a dark world, mm-hmm. is pretty cool. And if it takes a global pandemic for that, mm-hmm. then praise God. Amen. Cool. Good. Good. We've had. Uh, a record amount of time. I don't think we've ever had a Good Friday service go uh, this quickly. And so that gives me half an hour now oh, to wrap it up. So anyway, I'm going to read the last, uh, the last few verses here, starting in verse 51 to 54. In fact, this is probably where we see the beginning glimpses of light at the end of us. In fact, let me read verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this is the son of God. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the part that I wanted to just talk about for the next 30 minutes is uh, just the first verse there. The, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And as I meditated on that, I was, let me just kind of build the scene here. So if you're in the Old Testament and you're in the time of Christ, you went to the temple to worship. There was a temple veil that separated the Holy of Holies, that the very presence of God from the priest and and once a year the high priest could go behind that curtain uh to to minister on behalf of the people and uh and so uh, it's about a mile from where jesus is being crucified somewhere around that distance that that temple activities are taking place you know priests are finishing up their sabbath worship activities or, or in preparation for sabbath uh and um 
And then you can imagine the astonishment as they scurry around when suddenly the thing that keeps them safe from the presence of Almighty God just suddenly <laughs> rips yeah. apart. And the, the confusion that must have been in that moment um, and, and the, the, maybe the pandemonium, I don't know what it was like to be there, but it could not have been a, a normal day in the temple. It was already an unusual day right. because Jesus had been on trial and there was a lot of commotion in the city. Um, but also for those who go to the temple on an on a everyday occurrence to, to worship, um, you know, they've never had access to God. And this was just the normal way that they lived. Uh, you went to the priest to speak on your behalf, to make a sacrifice for you to God. And so suddenly in a moment, as soon as Jesus dies, that curtain rips apart. Like I almost can envision God just like, taking a sheet of paper and just ripping it down the middle. And, and there's instant access to God. The, the priests were suddenly unemployed. They didn't know it at the time, but they didn't really have a, a job any longer. And in, in that, I, I was reading Hebrews, and Hebrews tells us that this gives us an anchor for our soul, that there's a hope that we have because we can now enter behind the curtain because Jesus is a priest um, uh, on our behalf. And um, and I was reflecting on how, we've already touched on this, in times of crisis and suffering, I hear from God more clearly. I open my Bible, I'm more inclined to open my Bible because I'm desperate to hear from God. <laughs> I've preached sermons before that I thought were pretty like average, eh, I probably could have done better on that one. <laughs> and, and then someone who's in a crisis will come to me and say like, oh, that was the best message I ever heard. And I'm like, did you hear the same one that I <laughs> preached? You know, but my, I've kind of had this illustration that there's almost like an atmosphere sometimes between the way we uh, hear from God um, and that seems to get thinner when we go through dark times, right? right? Mm, yeah. And so um, it's just so beautiful that Jesus in his darkest point creates the best access possible for us. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that we always take advantage of that, right? I think a lot of times we still live and go through our lives as if there's a curtain there, yeah. as if we, That's and right. we don't take advantage of the fact that we can have access to the Father. Um, and, and it's my hope that, that if there's one redemptive piece out of this time in our history, mm -hmm. that it would drive more people to the Father and mm -hmm. they would take advantage of all that Christ has done in his death on the cross. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, in Jesus' greatest distress, he created complete access to the Father for us. And I have been leaning into that access over the last few weeks as mm -hmm. we figure out how to do church differently, mm -hmm. um, as we figure out how to pastor differently. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and so I'm just hopeful that our churches are, are doing that as well. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's incredibly inspiring when I read that I think about this often when it comes to this time of year, and especially the passing of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Could there be more powerful symbolism in human history? Mm. I mean, just mm. just that tearing of the veil mm. and just the magnitude, right? This had to be an act of God, for one, mm -hmm. and then the significance that it holds in that <laughs> the Holy of Holies is open to everyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it almost brings tears to my eyes to contemplate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or to think that the access goes two directions. Yeah. Certainly, we have an access to God mm -hmm. like never before right. and His holiness as the veil was torn. But I think at some level, God is sovereign to can do whatever He wants, mm -hmm. whenever He wants. Right. But yet now there's an awareness of God and His holiness toward us mm -hmm. yeah. that I sure. think just 
allows our eyes to get yeah. wide open mm -hmm. in moments like this. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, they're thrilling and amazing to see. Mm -hmm. How would God respond in this? That's how mm -hmm. I'm to respond, as Peter mm -hmm. says, what be holy as I am holy. Right. Mm -hmm. Great picture there, good picture. And I love how you tied it in with what's going on. Mm -hmm. like it's, let's be honest, this, this is weird times, right? right. This, mm -hmm. is, this is tough mm -hmm. stuff and a lot of people are living in fear. Right. And man, <laughs> and, and in that vein, that theme that you struck on several times of hope, the hope that is ours now because of the access that we have to the Father. What strikes me about that, basically I have two questions, or it's one question with two, two parts to it, if you will. For example, Hebrews 10, 24 reads, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So it's talking about the fellowship of the body of Christ, believers, right. encouraging believers in their walk with the Lord, so part of my question is how, how can we as believers in this particular stressful, troublesome time, what are some things we could do to, to be um, uh, sources of hope, uh, cheerleaders of hope, uh, you know, infusing hope, if you right. will, in one another? And then secondly, related to that is now there's a world around us that doesn't have that hope. Yeah. With, yeah. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, without God and without hope in the world. Right? Yeah. So how do we take that hope out to the darkness, yeah. so to speak? I know that's a mixing of metaphors, right. but you know what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. I, th I think there's one word right now, Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about, we're, we're, as a church, we're called to be together. Mm -hmm. And now for some odd reason, we have to stay apart. apart. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I think we have, to, I think we have to, to model what it looks like to go above and beyond mm -hmm. to reach out. That's mm -hmm. what we've been trying to teach people at our church to check up on others. Mm -hmm. And sadly, I, I forget, I hate the whole Zoom concept and, <laughs> and, and having to face We can tell by our right. Zoom. <laughs> right. But yet that's really what I think we need to be leaning into. And then as we do that, yeah. I, I think the community learns. I yeah. mean, the community will watch this and say, if it's important for them, it's got to be something important. Mm -hmm. Just don't take our example when it comes to social distance. <laughs> <laughs> Do as we say, not as we do. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's a, a part of the pandemic and this time where the fixers among us are going to be so frustrated because there's a, a, mm. we can't drive to someone's house in the middle of a crisis. We can't be there. And so there, we have to. Um, it should be a reminder to us to point him to Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Because in right. the end, he's the counselor. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the Holy Spirit's the counselor. He's, he's present in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I've been reminded at this time that when I want to try to give advice or tell them how to fix their problems, whatever it is, to pause and say, you know what? All right, so where is Jesus already present in this situation? Right. And, and where are we seeing him? And, and pretty soon they they begin to see the presence of God and already there. Mm -hmm. And and he does the work. Amen. That, that in a sense, our, our hands are tied. We have right. very little control, mm. but we still can model, we still can speak right. about, mm -hmm. we still can pray to mm -hmm. the one who is the ultimate solution in all of that. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, what we are to make much of the mess that we are in mm -hmm. <laughs> is really an opportunity that God has given to us. So, Amen. I don't know if it's appropriate maybe to spend some time in prayer um, just so. for um, the churches that God has allowed us, the privilege of shepherding, but also I think of our community, our community leaders, yep. um, and, and especially the healthcare workers. Oh, I, I absolutely. Just, my, um, 
just so thankful for those who are sacrificing mm-hmm. uh, to love and serve in that way. So, mm-hmm. good. Can a couple of us pray? Absolutely. All of us? Yeah. Sure. Um, why don't we? Yeah. Go for it, Doug. You start. Good. Okay. <clears throat> Father, we are indeed grateful, but we are indebted beyond measure for the grace that we have received and are even now experiencing from you because of Christ and what he did on that cross that Mm -hmm. we've just been talking about uh, this this session. And so I pray, first of all, that you would be pleased by the presence of your spirit in every assembly of Christ around the world. By your spirit, you would be pleased to recall to our remembrance the truths of your promises and plan in Jesus Christ, the wisdom of your plan, even though we can't even begin to fully fathom it. And then in recalling that to recognize and cling to that hope that is ours in Christ. I pray that you give us insight, as was just said, Give us the, the, the mindfulness to not only be thinking so wrapped up, so absorbed in our own needs, our own frustrations, as Josh just said, I want to fix this, but to, to recognize that everyone else is suffering too. Help us to particularly think about those who have it worse than we do. Those who maybe who aren't connected like we are to be mindful of them and and as Tim said, to take that extra step, to reach out, take the initiative to minister to one another. We might be ambassadors of hope to our brothers and sisters and to those who are without hope because they're without God, without you in this world. As Tim said, Father, I do pray for those who are in the thick of this, dealing with the illness, the death, the destruction day in and day out. I ask God for your grace, that you be pleased to grant protection to each one of those, that you infuse them with a sense of the significance of what they're doing and encourage them by it, we pray. We pray for wisdom for our governor, for our president, and for everyone at every level of authority and decision-making in our land, that uh, they would be endowed, so to speak, with prudence, with discernment, with wisdom in all of these matters that are part of this situation we find ourselves in. Thank you again for who you are, what you are, for the privilege to be called your children. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we do humbly approach your throne today, and we ask that you be magnified and glorified above all. We ask that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, as we come to you, we do bring Um, some carnal concerns on our part. We have people that are hurting. We have communities that are struggling. We have questions being asked. And so we simply ask for your will to be done, Mm. even when it doesn't make sense to us. Mm. You work in divine ways. You work in a kingdom upside down kind of manner. Mm. And so, Father, we ask that you would use us and everybody who's hearing this message as your humble servants, that you would break our hearts and that you would help us drive us to our knees in prayer. God, we don't understand the ins and outs and the nuts and bolts of exactly how prayer works, but we know that you honor our prayers and you honor our hearts when they are focused on you and your desire. Mm-hmm. And so we come before you today and we simply ask that your will be done, Amen. that you would be glorified and that you would be exalted. Mm-hmm. Help us to live fearless in all we do. We pray these things in Christ's name.
Father, I just echo the prayers already of my brothers. I thank you for each one of these men. I thank you, Lord, for the way that um, at this time in your sovereign will, you have called us and you've placed us in a really unique time. Mm -hmm. And Father, uh, we admit and confess that we just, we don't understand it. We don't have the strength to do anything apart from you. Yeah. And so Father, we ask together as, as, as brothers um, that you would direct us, that you would give to us the right words, um, that we would speak truth in love. Mm -hmm. So we'd be encouragers, that we would be comforters the way that you have comforted us. Jesus. Father, we thank you that um, Although it is a really, really difficult and a dark time, we, we know, Lord, how the story ends. We know the hope mm -hmm. that exists when people put their faith and their trust in the full and finished work of, of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. So we just pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to be faithful, to be faithful, mm -hmm. and to be faithful. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, it has been good to be here and to have this conversation. Thank you for the access that you've given to us, to your presence. And I pray that um, not only the members of each of the churches that are represented here, but our entire community Amen. would be able to experience the love of God in a new way this season. Um, help us to have eyes that are open to see the presence of God at work in the relationships around us. Give us boldness to speak your words of truth and comfort into those places, not to miss any opportunity. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, we thank you that Easter is a few days away yeah, and we right. look forward to celebrating right. that. Mm -hmm. A while right. it will be a different way. Um, we, the truth does not change. And so yeah. we celebrate that moment. We thank you for your love in our lives. And we mm -hmm. pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen, amen. Thanks for being with us, everyone. Any other final words? No. Thank you. Thank you, Josh, for hosting us. Yes, amen. Happy to. Happy to. <laughs>